transgressive cinema from the trans lens. My name is Eva Josie Baker. And I am Louise Ward. And I think to begin this week, we have a little yes. bit of housekeeping. So this is episode three. This is technically a weekly podcast, but um, I decided that we would not be releasing episode two. We decided we, decided. we would not be releasing episode um, two. I, 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 I was back and forth on it, as we both were, and we came to the conclusion that it would be very bad if we released episode two. Um, the subject of episode two was I made you watch Tumbling Doll of Flesh. Yeah. Um, which went well. Aoife was not yeah. pleased. No, um, it wasn't good. Yeah, it's it's a bad movie. It was a bad, That's all you need to know. We, 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 we said it was a bad movie and fails in all the ways that Flowers of Flesh and Blood succeeds. Um, and talked about that type of filmmaking and the idea of how fun it is to make underground movies with your friends. And how fun it is to find these things, but how unrewarding it can frequently be to yes, actually that was the get big, your desire fulfilled. Absolutely. The big takeaway with Tumbling Doll is some movies have a legend and you get, you build up in your head and then you watch it and it's garbage. And, um, thankfully the movie we're covering today is not that, so I'm really excited to get into it. Um, but, uh, without... With, without being too um, revealing, um, we did talk about actors and a bunch of things about the new underground film scene, um, but it became too much of insider baseball and was probably slander, so we had to decide not to show share it. Yeah, it was a beautiful, emotional, cathartic three-hour conversation that involved a lot of anger and a lot of tears, and we, we, we reached a point where we said, this is going to either get us in trouble or just be embarrassing and dramatic so best to just opt out yeah exactly um, i cried a lot it was a very beautiful i would say it's the most incredible expose on the underground film scene of the last 10 years that's ever been committed but too many um, names were named yeah, it, it got it was <laughs> it got really it was it, it discussed crimes um so we we can't do it but uh that means that we get to pick up this week and actually have some fun with two things that we both really love and I'm so excited to get into it with you Aoife. Yeah so the first thing was uh, you turned me on to this book Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumford. Weird that we're breaking format like on our second actually published episode um, to, to do a book. Oh, but here's the thing. I think that underground can be encompassing. Yeah. Like, I would love to talk about, like, Jack Ketchum books and other yeah. stuff that meant a lot to me growing up. And I think that in terms of how cinemas went, where there, there's this this sort of shying away from being transgressive in yeah. cinema, I think that there's an important reclamation that's occurred in terms of some of these big, like, trans literary achievements Absolutely. like tell me i'm worthless that bridge that conversation and have a very cinematic quality to which we can discuss them yeah that have a very cinematic quality and that are able to discuss these things with a level of frankness that's like far beyond a lot of what's getting produced and i mean we're we i had to pick something to pair with cello the 120 <laughs> days of sodom and spoiler alert um there is nothing better to pair it with than a modern novel that explores these similar ideas of tying transgressive narrative frameworks to fascist undertones in history and culture. Yes, and I, I'm going to read some sections of the book over the course of this, but I want to start with the, the content warning in the front, which is, tell me I'm worthless. The first text that you see in the book is, 
Tell Me I'm Worthless is a book about two things. Primarily those things are trauma and fascism. I thought it important to include a content warning here at the start to say that in dealing with these topics, the novel covers racism, anti-Semitism, transphobia, rape in both graphic and abstract ways, self-harm, and suicide. You might disagree with the inclusion of a content warning at the start of a book. If that is the case and you're within your rights to do so, please do not, however, complain to my publisher about this. The choice was mine and mine alone. One of the things that I really, really love about this book is that it it is simultaneously sort of a work of criticism at the same time as it is a work of fiction. It, you'll have these long sections that'll just sort of start diving into the discourse around what these ideas are, but always in this way that's framed completely within character and within like the world of it in this way where it gets to speak to you very directly about the ideas that it's having while also completely keeping it immersive in the way where it's like, oh no, this is just the brain of somebody who spends a ton of time online thinking about this shit. Well, it, well it's um, just as much a philosophical text as it is narrative. Form. Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in the way that like, you know, all literature is sort of philosophy and all philosophy is sort of literature. Like it's something that has a, a, a great deal of philosophical application. I have been reading this thing just on a loop since I picked it up a, a few weeks ago. And to me, the the real the the most interesting sort of meaty read on it is as a work of how fascism induces a cycle of violence, and how fascism induces um, people who are its own victims into becoming its pawns. Um, yeah, and I think that the the genius of the book is that it does explore the fact that we're all complicit in yeah. fascism, and, and 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 the allure of fascism, yes. and the way that those thoughts are almost um, uh, inherent and so omnipresent in the culture that we live in already that they sort of start to spill through. Because the structure of the book sort of has it, it, you sort of have these three sections. Before you we have, continue, yeah, I'm going to say there will be spoilers for this, Cello. I mean, everything yes. we talk about on this podcast will have spoilers in it. However, that is no reason to dissuade you from watching or reading anything we talk about because, as we've established in our first episode, the legend around these things and hearing people talk about them can cause your response to it to be even greater. So Absolutely. it's all about the surprise. We, we want you to be spoiled and we want you to dread actually experiencing them so that your, your experience of them can be colored by that dread. Because that's what we always did. Um, and it, it worked out well enough for us. I mean... Well, so far you've enjoyed most of what I've showed you. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in this episode particularly, I think these are both, like, incredibly powerful, relevant texts that are just fucking essential. The cycle that we go through is it's these three parts. And the first part is the aftermath of this trauma. And both of these characters sort of perpetuating the, the the violence of their own trauma, either onto themselves or onto others, like it, having fully ingratiated this terrible experience that we don't know anything about yet into their own lives, and it just being this radical destructive force that makes everyone around them go, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, but, but even beyond that, it, it's... it's uh like our lead character Alice yeah. like she's going to a house party and she sees these echoes of the event that happened yeah. to her in the people around her yeah you know so it's like the the haunting she's experiencing this trauma she's experiencing 
is mm. is even projected out into the world around her. Yeah, yeah, and the um, because it is something that the you know it originates from without. It becomes within, which then colors the without. It's blurring the line between the subjective and the objective, where you know the event occurs. That's real big quotes, the the event is internalized, and then the internalization of that event affects the real. This first section, I think, is, is great because, A, Alice is, I think, the most literally me character I've ever read in my life. I don't know if I've, like, read a book and had a character where I've just been like, holy shit, I have been there, girl. Oh my god. Like, uh, she talks about, like, sitting in her bed and drinking, like, half a bottle of red wine and listening to Dark Throne to try to, like, amp up to be able to go talk to people. And it's like, I have literally had that experience. And the fact that when they're younger, uh, I, I wrote a bunch of fucking notes down about this, that when they're younger, they listen to Burzum. And then when you cut back to her older, having had this nightmare experience with fascism, she's listening to Darth Dark Throne. She's, she's... It's still, you still want to play at the edges of that scene. But now, you know. I definitely I, I, caught I, that too. Now I want to, now, now I want to go with like, you know, cuddly Fenris with his cats. I running wonder how many. Socialist I really office. wonder how many trans girls were really into Birdsome back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you have the realization of like, oh, this isn't a funny true crime story. This yeah. is like. A guy who's like a cringe truck YouTuber now. <laughs> Still like spreading his fucking Nazism everywhere. I, I just really, yeah, immediately empathized with that character. And then, you know, the fact that that introduction when she goes to that party is she has this absolutely fucking horrific hookup that is framed in her perspective as... Uh, as the ghost of Morrissey coming alive from within her walls and attacking this girl. But, like, she she's the grabber, right? Like, do you I don't think? know. Do you think? Well, I'm not going to speculate on how this stuff uh, works in the play of the story because I don't, I think that it's not it's, important. It's ambiguous. And it's not important it because it, it works in the same way as all haunted house stories. Like, I know yeah. you wanted to get into the comparisons to yes. the haunting. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so um, I am a huge Shirley Jackson head, and this book, in towards the beginning, as it's laying out sort of all of this philosophical groundwork stuff, um, talks a bunch about The Haunting of Hill House, which is sort of like this, which is like the prototypical, iconic, like, haunted house as total psychological torment breakdown story. Uh, and it says in the book, you know, Albion, the house in Tell Me I'm Worthless, is not Hill House, because Hill House is for the most part an apolitical animal, and Albion is fascism. But what's interesting is that Albion uses a couple of, of Hill House's tricks. Um, the very beginning section with the kid getting radicalized has, um, it uses the bit with the face in the wall, the face sort of emerging in the wall, which is used in Hill House as well as in the, the film with that very iconic shot, the, the Robert Wise film of the, the holes in the wall and just that slow zoom in that it won't, just won't let you go of, just back and forth between the character in this face and the character in this face. Um, 
uh, as well as the Welcome Home Alice, Welcome Home Isla, is I think from the book. Hill House. And it was just another thing that just like reading the opening chapters of this book, I was just like, oh my God, this was built for me. This was like, it also, there's a dream sequence in the middle of here that reminded me of my other big bugbear, uh, Ligotti, but my, my, my other guy, when Alice is sort of climbing this tower uh, and it's this like slow walk through this sort of empty, deserted industrial area. Um, and, until she finally sort of reaches the top and jumps off and wakes up at the end of the dream. Which reminds me a lot of um, Ligotti's Red Tower, which is like one of the like great Ligotti stories, and one of the great uses of tone in his collections. It's just a description of a factory. It's just, there's a town and there's this weird factory at the edge and it produces products. And at the beginning, the products are like little toys and things that aren't useful, but like don't harm anything, don't seem particularly strange. And then the, 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 the factory starts growing, the tower starts growing, and uh, it starts to infect the land around it. And eventually the dead start to rise from this ground that's getting poisoned around it. And the things that are coming out of it are the same toys as before, but now like with this sort of proto-consciousness. They seem aware and they seem to hate that they exist. And, and you know, what's interesting about that is <clears throat> that the house Albion yeah. definitely has that effect within the yeah. narrative of Tell Me I'm Worthless, where it does seep into the whole community around it. Yeah. You know, like there, it, it is very fascinating the way in which um, the, the story really gets its hooks into this fascist angle yeah. and then explores it as this like ever-present force within both British culture and history, but then the house itself with like the eugenicist who lives there yes. and, and, and details that that are truly horrifying to read as their own horror story, yeah. but then are bridged into this greater culture, cultural concern. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love how the two flashbacks that we go back to are at the origin. It's a guy whose money is coming from covering up like sex crimes of, of the elites and, and participating in this in this like sex ring pedophile kind of exchange that that is what puts the initial shame on the house to people. But it's it's built up from that. And then the next person who moves in becomes a eugenicist like whether it's as a result of the house or whether it is that was just the fashion of the time and he's a crazy rich guy like and those are like two such f central fascist tenets is the like is the like widespread cover-up of abuse and the the core ideology of eugenics it just it just puts like two base level DNA aspects of fascism directly into the house. Well, isn't that the, um, isn't that the slope though? Like, yeah, it, it, it goes in that direction. Cause, cause if you think logically about how these things progress, that's just kind of the natural progression of where you would go if you have those ideas. Yeah. Like, I was talking to that guy who knew Gavin McInnes. Like, it's <laughs> like, oh yeah, it started where it was like the odd racist joke. And then all of a sudden he's bringing IQ studies into the office Yeah, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's the pipeline that you end up on because, because, that's what permeates through that ideology. Yes, and like the the core connection between the two themes, the trauma and the fascism, is that 
the experience of trauma is the root of the first step on the pipeline. Like, it's fear, it's pain, it's insecurity. That's the shit that, that like, uh, people will take advantage of and try to weaponize to use you as a part of the exact system that put you in that fearful position, that put you in that insecure position to begin with. And, and it is, it's all implicated. There's no escape from it. It is built on so many generations of haunted ground that there is no place where you're not at least recognizing that you're on step one of a really bad fucking path. Um, and I, I, I can't think of many other works of fiction that are like about that in such a, such a profound way, about, about the eternal battle to keep yourself from becoming a fascist exactly. when you live in a bad and society. I've got to say one of the most um, beautiful things about the story is the fact that it makes its two main characters of Isla and Alice yeah. both very complicit in yes. fascist thought patterns. Um, like, like on one level, you have Isla, who's a, like kind of a, hasn't figured it out yet, trans man, yeah. who is is coping with that through turf ideology. Yeah, which which I think is an interesting angle to approach a turf character and still yeah. make them sympathetic, which is is something that I think is a bold choice for Allison as a writer to to, to approach as yeah. a trans writer. I think that's like honestly profound and genius. Yeah, and then. Alice, on the other side, like, she courts the idea of, like, you know, growing up on 4chan and being like, I preferred 4chan to Tumblr because people were more honest yeah. in their hate. Yeah. And it, this is the same sort of bubbles of thinking, but at least the Nazis on 4chan are wearing fucking swastikas. Yeah. And it's, like, very interesting. And she's obviously part of that world. Like, one yeah. of my favorite things, and I, I was telling Allison this, is that, like, to have a a book that talks about sissy hypno yes. is remarkable because yes. that's like one of those things that is like oftentimes weaponized against us with the whole yeah. AGP Blanchardianism. And um, I, like, I've got a massive poster for sissy hypno sitting behind us. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm, I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff. I never looked at it before transitioning, <laughs> but then I got like such a sick fascination with it afterwards, especially like reading like Imogen Binney's like old school, like force femme lit, like lid on fiction mania and stuff. I was like, holy shit, like this is awesome. I love it. Um, but like, I, I think that that's a good exploration because like Sissy Hypno, once again, it's this like idea of like if you want to do it like ideological training like yeah. like where you're hypnotized by it and like it, it's just an interesting thing underneath the surface of the plot especially because it's tied into sexuality yeah and one of the things that's so genius about this and and ties in with the other thing we're talking about today is this uh conflation of fascism and sexuality yes and how the sexuality loses all meaning in a fascist framework. Because, like, you look at the character of Hannah, yeah. who's kind of the most, like, repressed character. The most normal. The most normal like, character. Yeah. Um, like, her, like, explosion into, yeah. like, e like evil thing where all this stuff, like, all these horrible little ideas in her head yeah. rise up and, and actually get spewed forth because of Albion. Yeah. Um, are, like... You know, it, it, it speaks to this conflation of sexuality because she's she's upset at the sexuality of her friends, especially. And I think that that's really interesting. So that sort of takes us from part one is just post. And then part two is 
right into here is the thing that happened. And when Hannah, when, when Hannah sort of transcends, like explodes, it's whispering to the, the, the most powerful, most privileged person in the room and going, okay, now I'm going to use you as the cudgel against everyone else. And I love that there is this bit while Hannah is saying all of this foul shit to them, where you get just a tiny bit of her inner monologue going, oh God, I thought I would be safe. It told me it would make me safe. Now I have to do this. Now I have to do this. Now I'm doing this. Why are my friends doing this to each other? I am. And the fact that she weaponizes them against each other, that when she, you know, that when she has that, when she ascends, she doesn't, you know, it's not like she does anything to them. It's she splits reality <laughs> and each of them is now doing something horrible to one another, which is, so often how it, how it ends up working with these like reactionaries as we've been talking about coming into uh, coming into communities where they want to sow discord where they want to create violence and saying here's the tools here's the places where i know you guys don't agree with each other here's you know, it's like the, the, the like CIA ops in the Black Panthers in the 70s yeah, or like, or, or like, yeah. <laughs> um, well, and what I think is, 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 is the best part is yeah. the fact that she gives her entire self over to the house because yeah. it's pleasurable and, because when, it's, and, no. and she doesn't want to be saved. And then she's regret. And then she regrets. Yes. She regrets instantly. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but when they come back, she doesn't want to be saved. Yeah. I know it's it's yeah. like so good. It's like yeah. no, I've always she, been here. Like yeah. this is I've this become is, fully ingratiated. Yeah, it's this the, is me, yeah. and it's just like I'm not gonna give away the image because like yeah. I think I it don't is, think you can. Yeah. I, I'm not going to. Yeah. You have to read this fucking book. Yeah, you it, really, really it do. Still haunts really me. Do. It's so it's and I don't even know what aspect of the image you're talking about. There's so much yeah, fucking going so on in the shit. scene. But what, here's what I'm gonna say. Um, one of the biggest complaints about Pasolini adapting Cello. Uh, or like 120 Days of Sodom into Cello, is that people think he got to Sod wrong by conflating sadism with um, fascism. I'll get way deeper into this conversation. But the big question is, how do you present fascism in a way that's not like goofy, that actually shows off the seriousness of fascism? Yeah. And it's just like... A lot of people say, don't even fucking try. You can't do it. It's too yeah. evil. It's too, yeah. it's like, you're going to end up compli complicit in it if you yeah. try to, because you're going to make it enjoyable yeah. in some way, especially in a literary or, totally. um, or, or cinematic form. And then all of a sudden you've fallen into the trap. And, and the thing is, I think that Allison is, is blunt enough in yeah. how she's presented where it's, it is disgusting yeah. how she presents it, um, where like. Hannah's like shitting herself yeah. and like all yeah. this stuff while while it's happening. And it's like it's it's entertaining to read, but Allison as a writer is is smart enough to make it as matter of fact as possible yes. in the moment. And it's presented very bluntly yeah. in a way that is is truly unnerving. Yeah. We could talk all day about whether how to present fascism, whether yeah. this does a good job or 120 Asana does a good job. But like at the end of the day, um, you are still making a piece of art and your goal is to make that piece of art interesting and entertaining and on some level. And like, tell me I'm worthless succeeds a hundred percent at accomplishing its metaphor in a way yeah. that is sophisticated and, and brilliant. And now moving on to the third section, 
of the book. Yeah. Um, which is them returning to the House of Albion yeah. to try to get closure because they both, both of the characters, because of how their first experience went, they have different ideas of what occurred in the house yeah. and that has pitted them against each other. So they want to go and get closure together. And in doing so, um, <laughs> I mean, they, fuck around they, and find out. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's very good. It's very horrifying. And there's sort of this implication that there is no, that they have no agency from this point forward. That basically, like, the house whispers in Isla's ear from very far away, further away than we've heard it whisper before, that you, you need to come back. And from this point forward, and I love the scene when they initially reconnect. And, it, you know, they describe it as, like, they fuck because they felt like they had to. Like, that that first time you see an ex in years, and you just wind up just sort of collapsing over, and it's just like, oh, fuck me. And, and I've got to so say, stupid. this book has some of the hottest sex I've ever oh read my God. in yeah. my life. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is... And it's all terrible. It, it's no, all no, terrible it's like, sex. But, it, but it's the sex I want to have. Like, <laughs> I, like, like could someone call me a tranny in bed, please? Yeah, like, a, oh my god. It's all like, gonna be a horrible memory later sex, but it is also all like... No, no, it, it's so fucking hot. And it's hot. Yeah. And, and it's, it's pleasurable in that Sadian context yeah. of, of like, trying to... Um, submit to the point of like becoming an object where yeah. you're like separate from your yeah. individual subjectivity um and it's like it's good shit yeah. i really liked it yeah, yeah. um I, I i think it's like it, it's brilliant to read like that shit in a book like i, I just yeah. can't believe what allison has yeah. here it's like yeah. it's it's remarkable she's such a talent yeah. and um the yeah so so they go back to the house and then we get um what is to me like the biggest accomplishment in the book which yeah. every chapter is named after whose character's perspective you're at and then you turn the page and you're confronted with a page that says you <laughs> scariest thing i've ever read because i was like so in it like reading it the first yeah. time and then i was like no no because because <laughs> the, the thing that's genius about the book is it is, is, is it's confronting you and like i don't know if it's just my experience reading yeah. as a trans woman reading a trans woman yeah. character written by a trans woman. Yeah. Um, but it's like, man, this book's making me consider a lot of thoughts I've had in my head that were, that, like, obviously I'd shy away from and have guilt towards and stuff, yeah. but are, like, you know, inherent human thoughts, right? Especially yeah. growing up in fucking white colonial, you know, I mean, like, yeah. we're in Canada. We yeah. were, we it's were... It's a fucking, like, resource extraction state. Like, yeah, it's the former British colony, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, it, it definitely permeates all of these ideas that are being explored. And um, when you turn that page to you, it's like, oh, fuck, Allison's about to implicate me in all of this. Like, yeah, like, like I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. It's always pulling it back in. Yeah, it's it's never letting anyone in... Uh, it's never letting anyone morally off the hook. And now, here you are. Yeah. Right here. And it's so us. scary, because it's like, and yeah, I'm being haunted by this house. Yeah. Like, it's it's like... Yeah. It, it, and the house is fascism. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the... Um, the prose sort of breaks down at this point where it starts, whereas those previous scenes of violence are like so hurried and so, or not hurried or like frank and blunt and straightforward. Now it's just pile driving out of control. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's it, just it, it, text it, on the, text on text. Well, it on becomes text. stream of consciousness, yeah. which kind of mirrors, there's a, 
a sissy hypno scene early where yes. earlier where she's reading German sissy hypno porn, which I want to I want to read that passage and tie it back to the marquee. Mm -hmm. But um, the the thing that's most interesting is it's written in a stream of consciousness style that really reminds me of like Pinchon's Gravity's Rainbow. Yeah. How, how you haven't read that book, but no. the 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 final section of it kind of deteriorates in the same yeah. way where you're just stream of consciousness through like you get the perspective of a light bulb. Like yeah. it's like it's it's so good. And like it's it's. It, it, it is really like taking from that literary tradition where you can write like like, like the book builds up to it yeah and, and and that's why it works so well yeah. it like it reminds me of like virginia wolf or john yeah. like where you're, you're just getting this fucking perspective out and it it's so haunting because yeah. by reading it like the you chapter heading really does it almost hypnotizes you and that's yeah. why i relate it to the same pro style as this like german sissy hypno yeah. thing at the start like it's I don't know, you're just kind of in it. Well, and, and it, it ends on the text from the German his, sissy hypno section. Exactly. It, it wraps all the way around. It goes through several different possible scenarios of what could be happening in the scene. Uh, and then it wraps back around to you are in the German hi sissy hypno fantasy, you shitty transvestite pig, and you're getting tossed in the garbage. Uh, well, and, and, and the then, thing that's interesting is, is Alice's character earlier yeah. on when she talks about the German sissy hypno, she talks about how like I don't know if it's specifically like turned on but it's like yeah. a fantasy like it, it it's, it's like so crude reading it it's so crude but it becomes like some sort of sick fascination but like in a way where she wants it and it's yeah. like it's it's it, and then tying that into the fascist like stream of consciousness bit at the end yeah. where you've got like Winston Churchill was, tied up as a scarecrow Winston Churchill's yeah a uh, uh, erect hanging cog yeah um and we get some good castration shit yeah. and dick mutilation and all sorts of, you know, all my fancy pants things I like. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, I don't know, it, it's genuinely yeah. horrifying. And, and it ends with with one of my my favorite pieces in the movie where, or book, sorry. Book. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie podcast in which we were talking yeah. about a book. Yeah. My favorite pieces in the book in which um, Alice's character disembowels herself and it's like yes uh, what, what did she say like i'm a real only like, real women are, are supposed to be able to do this they always told me i would never be able to do this to expose myself completely to reveal uh, everything to have like a secret deeper inside <laughs> that i can then reveal and here it is here's everything um it's perfect yeah it's and, perfect <laughs> <laughs> um because i'm stupid uh, and, uh, my, my reference point for this was the multiple endings of Evangelion, where... <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Although, you know what? You Here's get the, the thing. No, but you I... get the high school timeline, and then you get the congratulations sort of self-affirmation, and then you get End of Ava, which is sort of purpur purportedly an objective factor of events, but then you get an alternate objective factor of events in the rebuild. It's the same kind of thing, where it's, it's, it's multiple pathways that all... No, you're actually 100% right. Every this single is one of those... so. Last every... Episodes of Every single one of those possibilities makes sense, is thematically satisfying, and the fact that you've seen all of them has now tell, told you infinitely more about the characters than just selecting one of the possibilities ever could. Yeah, you're hundred percent. Yeah, you're seeing like this Mobius strip of every possible version of the person, like uh, like the Trophimidorians and Vonnegut. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's. Perfect. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. like I, I cannot stress enough how good this book is. Yeah. Um, you should absolutely read it. And 
the fact that it comes back to objective reality at the end. The fact that that epilogue made me fucking cry. I cried really hard times I read it. it. Because you have that, you have that Mobius strip moment where you're like, okay, this is where you're taking me. I'm seeing every possible version of reality at once. Like, phew, okay. And then getting that ending, tying it back to the beginning, ending with the characters who have now, they've come full circle, they've rejected fascism, they've burned down the house, and they once again find themselves its victims one last time. But now, instead of being driven against each other, instead of being the weapons of the tools of fascism, now the only option is to be the is to be the victim of it. And they and they hold each other and they stand and they 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 lay in solidarity. And they uh, a, a photographer somewhere gets an award for it. Um, yeah, and, it's and, it, it's fascinating. And all that we have is our love for each other. All that we have end. is the love. And and at the end of the day, it's kind of talking about like like i think that there is an optimistic angle to the ending yeah. because with the photographer taking the photo there there is like kind of a little sentence made about like oh this will be discussed a lot like politically and whatever yeah. but there's also <clears throat> in a way it's 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 repeating these yeah. cycles yeah. of which like um our political struggle is kind of used as a distraction from the greater problem where we're just going to be repeating these same discourses yeah. over and over again and it's like but but the optimistic angle of it like so as not to be cynical is like well at least we have the love for each other like, yeah like it, 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 it's, it's like this... it's like basically the, the book's like the only way to get out of fascism is to embrace t for t yeah is to embrace <laughs> t for t is to just like it is if the entire world is out to fucking get you like you stick together you don't allow that thing to get inside your heart and allow you to drive yourself against the people that you're on the same side as you fucking stand up against it and you you, you stay together even if it's in a fundamentally losing battle because it starts inside your head like, well, and, and i think a big thing to say and this might be just going yeah, way too deep yeah. but like is it like i kind of said that flippantly about the t for t comment but there is yeah. something to be said about totally. how so much of the fascist uh, coercion that the main two characters experience yeah. stems from self-hatred. Yes. And yes. Um, as someone who's experienced some very great T for T sex, mm -hmm. um, the, the the glory of, of, of getting to share your body with someone who um, understands it in the same way yeah. is such a liberating, um, dysphoria-alleviating experience. Yeah. And I think that there is something to be said about not like specifically in terms of sexuality and all this stuff although i think that sex is pretty fucking important yeah, to I the mean, overall display of fascism and power and all yeah, these things we're talking about um, libidinal shit yeah here, fundamentally <laughs> um but like i think that that it, it is an important note to say that i don't know i guess it's just it's just like find someone who makes you feel good about yourself so you don't become a fascist like. yeah and like find <laughs> Again, find solidarity in the people who actually share in your experience and find, you know, find those bonds and hold on to those bonds instead of like burning bridges and, you know, um, yeah, just just love each other. Just love each other. That's it's just a, it's just a simple book about loving your friends. So here's my good question for you. Yeah. Do you have any last 
parting words about Tell Me I'm Worthless? Um, yeah, this book makes me want to cry. Um, the events of the past couple weeks, I think anyone who's a, a trans person or a trans femme is just fucking in this constant state of mental beatdown right now from watching the way that the media is handling us and watching the way that, like, continued just violence is being fucking encouraged. And... Uh, I've been feeling really fucking paranoid and really fucking scared, and this book has been a massive salve to me in that. It and truly is. Fucking, you know, go sign the letter. Go fucking do mutual aid wherever you can. That's. It sucks. It sucks right now. And this book is making me feel somewhat better about how bad it sucks right now, because. Yeah, thing, a lot of... things are hard, but we have our community to pull us through. And at the end of the day, we can't let silly little things divide us because we only really have each other. Yeah. So I think at that that's I think that that's the the takeaway from yeah. these sorts of texts. Um, and what we can learn from art is the healing power of love. <laughs> so and uh, <laughs> and also uh, to to be to be ever vigilant for the fascist within. Yes, I, yeah. I think that's the thing is you have to acknowledge that we're all fascists at at heart. There's an inherent fascism that we but all there's have. Some in our aspect deepest of part it of that our can hearts. get seated out um, in every single person be, because because yeah. the secret is. Fascism is very appealing. Like, yeah. you always want to be one of the good ones and all these little things that could maybe make your experience in this horrible life a little bit better. And if there's but it's a trap. You, if there's someone else that you can throw under the bus to do so, sometimes it gets really appealing to make that decision because, because you're in pain, because you're in fear, because the exact people who are now making you this offer to throw someone under the bus are the ones who made it that way. <laughs> exactly. So don't yeah. get distracted by bullshit. Be smarter and above it. Yeah. And love each other. And love each other, like we are. <laughs> this is a movie podcast about fucked up movies. This is a movie we podcast love... about fucked up movies. Um, this is... But I think it is is important for us as two trans women to talk about these things. And yeah. another thing that's really important for me to talk about as a trans woman is sissy hypnoporn. So I yeah. want to read a passage here as we move into cello. Um, I, I love this because this this actually takes me back to these sorts of things that I got so obsessed with on the internet, which is disgusting, horrible things I would find on forums and Blogspot and stuff. Um, I, I, I masturbated to such horrible things, <laughs> by the way. Like, when I was, like, 12, 13 Haven't years old, I bad. mean, like, there's fucking things that, like, I remember finding on Blogspot that I will not say on this podcast... <laughs> Um, but I'm going to read this because this, this really takes me back to, to, to my childhood. Um, <laughs> from Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumpet. On a fetish forum I wouldn't be able to find again, I came across a long, repetitive string of German words when looking for people with sissy fetishes. The person who posted it had no personal information on their profile, and this was, as far as I could tell, their only post on the site. The translation is probably somewhat inaccurate because I only used the automatic Google translation tool, but I don't think it was exactly coherent anyway. And when I read it, I felt I became sure that the author was addressing me and me alone. Oh, yes. She looks so hot and sexy in a latex mini dress and knee-high black 
fuck me boots. Can't stand how awesome she looks. Hmm? XD, 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 XD. You can't do anything, and that will make you ugly, shitty, transvestite, pig glow. Ha 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 ha. You will have to endure forever how awesome she looks. And do you know what, you goddamn shit tranny pig? She would surely lift her sexy latex-made slut apron dress and grill your useless eggs in your mini cock and digest it into your throat before slowly and painfully squeezing you out of the messy stuffing pile of toddlers and slippery household garbage bags and neat bulky waist. Bedding? Oh, she looks so sexy, mm? In contrast to you, completely crazy woman wearing transvestite pig shit. Bois! God hates transvestite pigs. God loves latex-made pig babes. God loves latex Nazi she-wolf babes. The latex-made celebrity babe TV show in the garbage truck. You shit transvestite pig. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I it's thought you so were going to do the whole thing. Oh, I was, no. It would have been like five, ten minutes. No, it's it's time. it's very long. But um, now I want to read a passage from the 120 Days of Soda. Okay, and our second film for the day. Um, so Pasolini's solo, or the 120 Days of Soda. So I... I <laughs> from... <laughs> I didn't even crumple that paper on purpose. That happened by accident. <laughs> ah! From... The Marquis de Sade's The 120 Days of Sodom. He fucks a cow, it conceives and gives birth to a monster, which shortly thereafter, he fucks. And then I will read another passage. He plucks out both her eyes and leaves her locked in a room, saying that she has before her what she needs to eat, that she has but to get up and search for it. But in order to reach the food, she must cross a broad plate of iron, which, of course, she cannot see, and which is kept heated to a very high temperature. Situated at a window, he amuses himself watching how she manages. Will she burn herself, or will she prefer to perish from hunger? She has been previously very soundly whipped. And another passage. Because I love the 120 Days of Sodom. Number 151. He gives her copiously to drink, then sews up her cunt, her asshole, and her mouth as well, and leaves her thus until the water bursts through its conduits, or until she dies. Brackets. Determine why there is one too many. If one is to be deleted, suppress the last, for I believe I have already used it. Now, the reason I wanted to get at this is, is that sissy hypnoporn sequence is extremely repetitive. It repeats the same lines yeah. over and over all these ideas, to the point where you become very complacent in the text and almost apathetic mm. towards what you're reading. It, mm. it becomes a wavelength that you find yourself on. Yeah. The 120 Days of Sodom is is fantastic in its mm. frankness because the, the, the way it's framed is the sort of mistresses share a sexual story. The libertines enact that story. Like, they, they perform it. Yeah. And then repeat. And by the end of the book, it's just fucking Desaad listing 150 more fucking things they do. It's just like that, like 151. Hmm. Here's yeah. a paragraph of what they did. Yeah. Because like, at the time, Desaad had been cancelled, so yeah. he was sent to the Bastille. He's, always he's, a hard time. He, yeah, always a hard time to be cancelled, especially if it, if it results in you going to the Bastille. So, <laughs> what can you say? He liked going to brothels and whipping, whipping girls. Yeah. Uh, while getting fucked in the ass by his uh, little concierge uh, chariot boy. <laughs> um, because this... We'll get into it, um, but but you know he's he's sitting in his cell and he like he can go around and shit because like you know he's he's a marquis like the dude has some privilege yeah. and he kind of <clears throat> he, he he's kind of a little sissy boy 
And hmm. he spends all of his time smoking as much tobacco as possible and eating as much food, and he gets so same fat. Same. Oh, yeah, same no, this is... I'm same. describing myself. And he, <laughs> he eats so much food, he can barely move. Yeah. Like, he gets so fat that he can barely stand. He's, like, he's only 5'2", hmm. by the way. He's just this little, little fat boy. Yeah. And he's 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 writing this book, and, and he has to keep it secret because of, of the obscenity shit, and he's been canceled, so he can't write anymore. So he's, like, keeping his little scroll, like, very secret, and he's writing and he's trying to do anything to get it written like fucking writing in his own blood and shit at some point yeah. it's just to just to get it down as this act of kind of like um i don't know he had to do it it was yeah it was it was it was politically he necessary um and then he got out of the bastille when, yeah. when it was raided and, and he hated the terror i mean like the thing about Dassad that's interesting he's actually a very sensitive boy and um when you when you look at like when you looked at the the idea of people passing judgment on who got the guillotine, he was fucking sickened and horrified by it, um, be, because he didn't think anyone should pass judgment. Like the, his whole idea of libertine philosophy is like, do what you want to do, mm. and no one should fucking judge you for it. Um, <clears throat> it was very like uh, similar to like Crowley, like do as I will and stuff like that. I think there's like a good, I think it's a good way to live your life. I consider myself a Crowleyan libertine, so. <laughs> Which is why I'm fat and fuck a lot. Uh, but um, I, I think that the, the point to make here now is is we're going to move in from 120 to Sodom. And I'll talk a little bit more about Dasad because it's inseparable from the text of that movie. But the thing about Salo is Pasolini makes what is an interesting movie, but I think it's a failure at Dasad in some ways and successful in others. And... Um, we'll talk about that a little bit and talk about it in relation to the fascism conversation. I mean, that's obviously the things that tie that's the two the... works together is the fascism, then also the the sort of I mean, there's a lot of scat scatology. I mean, yes. the sod was, yeah. was was a coprophile. Um, I don't know how much he actually performed of it in his real life, but God, did he fantasize yeah. about it? And, and that's the 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 work he wrote was a place of fantasy. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about it. But, but first of all, I want to know about your relationship to this movie because yeah. uh, you haven't seen it before. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, as is our bit, and as is decreasingly our bit, I, I don't know, as, as the, the format of this show gets warped every single episode that we do. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I this was a new watch for me. This was definitely a movie that I had heard of, that I had read about. Um, that when I talked about, like, you know, having the 1001 movies that you must see before you die when I was a kid, which was, like, very important to me and watching hundreds of, like, classic films through there and then doing, you know, uh, just lots of, lots of film history stuff, it comes up. It's a big, it's a big one. It's a, it's a seminal text. Um, and, and, uh... I was sort of, I, I, I think when I was first learning about what it was, I was scared of it, for sure. I was definitely like, I'm going to pick a day to do this one, and I'm going to put that day off for a long time, because I don't want to have a bad day. Uh, was all the way, always the way that I, uh, that I used to think about. And so, yeah, it was one of those ones where the legend got built up, and I was intimidated by it. And then eventually, by the time I'd sort of grown the guts to want to watch stuff that can go there, you know, by my by the time I was like in high school, then it was like so big and so obvious as like a reference point for like the type of shit that I liked that I was sort of embarrassed I hadn't seen it. And then 
I didn't watch it for a long time after that because of that, because I was just like, mm-hmm, yep, solo, of course, solo. Um, so, and, but now I'm, I'm 26 years old. I'm so far beyond trying to look impressive. I'm stupid. I'm really stupid. Did you just hear me talking for the last 45? I'm so dumb. <laughs> oh, um, we're both dumb, babe. I was yeah, I was reading my um, college papers on 120 Days of Sodom. I was like, I used to be so smart. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> Must be all the estrogen taking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, yeah, joke, I joke, no, okay. I joke. Okay, yeah. But now you've finally seen now it. Now I finally seen um, it. And I, I really did, did live up to the hype. What did you think? Yeah, it was really different. Um, much like our discussion of Flower of Flesh and Blood, I was sort of underwhelmed by the degree of discomfort that I like. I was really expecting to just be like gut punched, like of just like. Oh, this is gonna suck. This is gonna be a sucky well. It's definitely experience. the reputation. That is the rep. It's That's kind of the a, way that people so talk Lowe about it. So low is more so a punchline as a disturbing movie. Like totally. And, and I think it's weird because I see a lot of people make jokes about how like people who say they like Cello are lying yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, because like this is one of my favorite movies. Like, yeah. like Cello uh, has been a first date movie for me for a long time. <laughs> I've had a lot of sex while watching Cello. Um, and I get it now. I get it now. Yeah. like but, Because it is, it's, it's funny and it's magnificently composed and it's like very it, it really creates a very deep unsettling atmosphere but one that's very clinical and very removed it, it, it's not trying to get you to experience like empathetic cringe pain on behalf of these characters whatsoever it, it wants you to sort of go to a go to a more removed kind of intellectual space with it uh, and that made it like sort of a, a a sickly enjoyable experience. Uh, whereas you know the way people talk about it is just like, oh, I was sitting down trying not to vomit for two hours, but which is weird because because the the movie itself is so silly. Yeah. Um, because because the thing is, it's, it's funny. Desaad's like, writing is silly. Like yeah. it, it it's as I read like the he he fucks a cow, gives birth, and he fucks the afterbirth. It's yeah. like it's like. Desaad is fantasizing about these extreme insane things that wouldn't actually happen and then to actually depict them on film makes them funny yeah. and kind of removes them of the like sort of edge that they have and and I want to talk about that but first I'll talk about my relation with Stello. as I yeah. said it is my first date movie and um, <laughs> the the thing that I think is interesting about it is when I was a little kid it was it was one of those ones I found on IMDb where people said most yeah. of certain movies yeah. I just went to the, the HMV um in Calgary, and I went and I it's bought the it. One. Yeah, uh, no, the Signal Hill one. Okay. And I, I, I went also and I picked, I picked up the Criterion copy, yeah. and I went up and I bought it. I was yeah. twelve years old. No one yeah. stopped me because it was unrated, so yeah. they could, they legally couldn't stop yeah. me from buying it. Did the clerk give you a look? Did they know what they were doing? Oh yeah, they, they always did? gave me oh, a look. Okay. They okay. always were like, I. They were always like, I'm gonna get in trouble for selling this little kid this movie, and they never did because I knew to hide my horrible. <laughs> Shit. Um, yeah. I remember watching it for the first time and I was expecting it to be so fucking horrifying instead I was just like this is kind of hot and I think that that's the problem with Cello uh, and this was the problem that critics had at the time of its release where they said Pasolini failed he, yeah. he eroticized it this shouldn't yeah. be erotic like you're to, to do to sod properly you should be completely apathetic towards it and I think he succeeds in some ways um, but there are moments like you look at the handheld photography at the start and yeah. kind of the the idea of the compositions being so beautiful he it, like look at the scene when they're they're fucking like the married couple yeah right like yeah. um after they do the 
faux marriage scene. Yeah. It's like it's beautifully composed. It's so it looks pretty. gorgeous, it's and it's so like, pretty. oh, I'm enjoying this too much. Like yeah. the best way to adapt to Saw <laughs> would be like fucking shooting it like an August Underground movie, but like, like or like a Dogma ninety five film. Well, <laughs> and I don't want to get too much into the connections between the two because I think that's our outro. But the the the. It's that same implication. It's that same self-implication that's happening in the beauty of the framing, in the like, sort of like formal qualities of the movie. Like, is it? It's it's implicating you. It wants you to fall for the fascist's own view of yeah. what they're and doing. And that's why it's a bad Desaad adaptation. Because like, interesting. Um, like like okay. So, <clears throat> um, Pasolini talked about this in an interview where yeah, what he said was. I wanted to take how Klazowski writes about Desaad's relationship with God mm. and change God to power and power as fascism. Okay. And totally, yeah, totally yeah. fucks it. Like, okay. that ruins Desaad. Because, one, <laughs> one, I used to kind of be in the more Klazowski school where I was like, oh, um, Desaad is rebelling against God and what he's doing, where his, yeah. his atheism <clears throat> is so tied to <clears throat> this renouncement of God. Mm. I will do to others because God does, I will do evil to others because God does evil to me, like yeah. this whole idea. Um, Cooking. But I, I actually disagree with it because I think that 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 getting confused by, Klaus I think Klazowski's wrong. Mm. I, I, like I think he's he's got an amazing philosophical framework yeah. to explore Desaad, but I think he's extrapolating a little bit too much here because I think that Desaad was like truly an atheist in the sense that he did not care about mm. God at all in his life, mm. um, and, and that God did not factor into the degree to which Klazowski, you know, mm. states and 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 then that by by Pasolini using that as kind of the lens through which he's then adapting 120 days of sodom makes for a very blunt and silly metaphor because it's yes. like oh my god fascism fascism so bad we're all so gonna be eating shit it's Here's like the fucking thing like, though it's it's, it's stupid you do have to be blatant about well it. and that's why like, i was i was i was saying because like like that was one of the criticisms of cello is like yeah. like we just got out of fascism yeah like like you're now making this movie that's like trying to uh, criticize fascism through the 120 days of Sodom. Yeah. And it, it's such a blunt fucking metaphor. It is. It's yeah. very obvious. And whereas someone something like Allison's book does it in a way that I think is, is so smart. I think yes. that here's the thing. Roland Barthes had it hits the nail on the head where he says, Cello mm. is a good movie because it's irredeemable for how bad it, fumbles its metaphors yeah like like Pasolini is so bad at adapting to sod <laughs> that it kind of makes the movie Saudian because yeah. it's like it's it's this like like to sod is kind of the philosopher villain right yeah. like that's how like Klazowski writes about him where he's like he's 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 this guy who's writing this shit like Desaad's a bad writer and it's mm. because it's so bad that it becomes brilliant because it's it's repetitive and like annoying and like gross and simple prose and he gets like he goes way too long on everything and it's like Desaad is like a shitty writer who just had to do it to like get his like awful perversions and fantasies out there and it's like brilliant in the sense of like you're basically just reading like like the worst smut erotic like that yeah. fucking Jeremy yeah. Sissing porn thing yeah. and and it becomes brilliant because of this, the structure of it starts to kind of like 
makes sense to you the further you go yeah. along with it. And I think that the only way in which dis- um, in which Pasolini succeeds in adapting it is the fact that since the framing is so um, uh, repetitive, where it's yeah. like these wide shots where we're seeing the same wide shot over and over again, yeah. it starts to like diminish that like aestheticism where like it becomes hypnotic yeah and and that's the only way where where by the time you get to the end of the movie you are apathetic towards what you're seeing and like that's the reason why i think that solo is not really a disturbing movie Mm -hmm. is because one you're adapting like the fucking like coprophilia orgies and all the stuff that Desaad's like writing about is like extreme sexual fantasies you're you're putting that on screen which then makes them really silly to watch and so the movie becomes very silly and then at the same time he's shooting in a way that that at a certain point, it's very matter of fact. Like here, we're showing the audience all the information. They get to enjoy whatever they want to in the frame. It's these big wide shots. It's very sweeping and, and gorgeous. And um, since he's repeating it over and over, by the end of the movie, you're kind of like, okay, like how many more circles of this shit do we have to yeah. go through? And and I think that that's like, like, like I think Bratz is correct. It's like, it's so irredeemable and misguided that it becomes a genius movie in the same way that Dassault's writing is so bad and misguided that it becomes genius genius literature and um yeah so like like i think that cello is like one of the greatest films of all time but it's like it, it is one of, it's, it's like dumb guy or tourism yeah and like like that's the thing is and like pasolini's be... brilliant he's one of my favorite filmmakers yeah. in the world but like it, it is such a just like it's such a misguided adaptation of Dassault that it's like it's kind of brilliant and and like separate from the way that like something like um uh, Jesus Franco's, um, like, fucking, like, Justine adaptation mm-hmm. is just, like, oh, yeah, we're gonna make this, like, little, like, hot, so- like softcore flick yeah. about Justine going and getting, like, raped and tortured and all yeah. these situations. And you're, like, it's, like, a straightforward movie, lots of handheld photography. Like, it's just shot like a film. And mm-hmm. you're, like, this isn't Sadian at all. So at least, like, at least Pasolini's, like, attempting. And, like, the movie even has, like, a bibliography in the front. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but what I'd say is I think he should have been borrowing a lot more from Simone de Beauvoir than mm. fucking Klazowski. Because I think mm. Klazowski, even though he's, like, so genius in what he yeah. writes, I think that that's the wrong lens through which to do Dassault adaptation. Because, mm. okay, so I was rereading Must We, Must we Burn Dassault by yeah. uh, fucking... Um, Beauvoir, right? Yeah. And I was like reading it and I was like, what the fuck? How did I not pick up on how trans Dassault was yeah. too? Like fucking like the shit that Beauvoir goes on about is like actually shocking. <laughs> like talking about like <clears throat> fucking um, shit where it's like... Let's get into some egg theory. <laughs> yeah, okay, egg theory. I, I, I hate, by the way, like <laughs> I hate the whole egg stuff. Like yeah. I just... Like, for me, I'm just like, no one should want to be trans. Like, fuck, fucking, like, this is so brutal. I hate myself. Um, But it's inevitable. We're going to read it into everything we see. I can't not. Because it is everything we see. And, and, like, it's just so fascinating because, like, 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 Dassad, at least according to Beauvoir, like, like, considered himself very feminine. Yeah. He was, he, like, like, Dassad only liked anal sex. He liked receiving anal sex. I think that's one of the most important things that that like is kind of brushed over in terms of like watching a movie like Salo is like remember that the like captors like the libertines are being fucked in the ass too yeah. like 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 it's it's this idea of like in order to destroy the object you also have to become the object like yeah. like s- such a big point of of like the the, the sadian impulse is like you need to have an audience 
for what you're doing. Like it also always has to be in this like orgy context or you have to have that extra viewer because part of it is like the humiliation kink that like in order to see himself, you must be seen. Like there's like, like uh, Bouvard writes, like nothing can threaten a man who transforms his defeats into triumphs. He fears nothing because for him, everything is good. So like you have to, play both sides of it constantly and you have to derive as much pleasure from the humiliation and exaltation of the flesh uh, like as you are describing like value to the flesh to which you are like enacting your tyranny uh, towards yeah and it well it is this sort of like it's the 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 eternal chasing the dragon of the immensely powerful um it, it it is this uh, way that it always ends up at fucking pedophile rings because like you 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 base your life around acquisition and around subjection and around control to the point where only total subjection is the only thing that can give you any sort of um, any any sort of jollies anymore. And once subjecting another runs out of steam, then your samsara continues. Desire wraps back around and it must now be enacted on yourself so that you can understand it holistically so that when you go back to subjecting, now it, it is all the sweeter for having understood the other side of it. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's, it's <clears throat> there's there's an interesting foundation to Desaad. It's like, like, Desaad wasn't like, 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 it's funny that like, you know, like sadism and like that comes from his work because like, sure, he loved to like whip a girl and do bloodletting and all this mm. stuff. Um, but like he was more of a sadomasochist to use those terms because like yeah. he's he's nothing like like Masoch like he's not that Venus mm. first like I'm gonna like because the power of like the masochist comes also from the fact that he's like so tied to the one performing the actions upon him like yeah. like there's this like very interesting interplay whereas like for Desaad there's like a more apathetic like mm. like like there there's you're trying to eliminate meaning through mm. this like subjugation so like Saad's more of like a sadomasochist where like he would want to be, like, anally penetrated while, like, cutting a girl or whipping yeah. her, right? Because, like, he, like, the sod, it's so interesting because, like, he would view himself as very feminine yeah. while also fucking hating women. Yeah. Like, he, he absolutely despised women. But, like, you read his work, it, 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 he never really talks about, like, vaginal penetration. Yeah. He was, like, famously, like, like, he could fuck, but, like, he was, he was kind of, like, considered impotent because he just had no interest mm-hmm. in, like, fucking girls and stuff mm. like that like he did have three children but like it was a struggle for him and like he preferred getting fucked in the ass and all of his work has such an anal fixation and you look at Salo, there's no vaginal yeah. intercourse yeah. in it with the exception of like the people who are kind of rebelling yeah. against the the system yes. to which they're in but the, the last thing i'll say about um Desaad egg theory is that <laughs> I, I i think that i think that um to kind of tie it back to how i started the conversation um if you if you look at how Desaad viewed himself and also like wrote about women, you could say that like Justine is like the spiritual autobiography of like how he felt about navigating life, whereas its sister novel Juliet is kind of like his self-insert sexual fantasy, right? Because you have the very like libertine girl who's like going through like enjoying everything and Juliet and it's like yeah this is Desaad like writing like if I were a girl this is what happened to me <laughs> whereas like uh Justine is kind of this like 
him like looking at how cursed his life is and like yeah. basically writing this like like the first novel you'd write after getting canceled like sort of thing i mean like technically cello we are uh 120 mm-hmm. we wrote first but uh because justine he kind of wrote then goes 120 and then yeah. like rewrites justine but um uh, the, the thing that i think is most fascinating is like the, the Beauvoir hits this on the head um, so well, which is like Klazowski talks so much about Dessau's relationship with God, but it's not a relationship with God. It's a relationship with nature mm. and the natural world and the fact that he felt cursed by his own nature. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. bitch, I talk that's, a lot about that. I was really cursed by my own nature. That sounds um, like dysphoria. So yeah. I, 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 I mean, I can relate a lot to to Desaad. I love Desaad yeah. so much. Um, I think he's just such a nice, nice squishy boy. <laughs> he's, he's so sweet. Yeah. Um, but like I, I, and he was so sensitive, right? Yeah. Like he was, he was just like, like, like I think that it, it's fascinating how much of a reputation like his work has, and like how he gets like presented in like um, a movie like Waxwork, where they go back to visit Dasan, and he's like this like fucking like Chad guy who's like yeah. on his whip, and it's like, no, he was kind of like he was a pathetic loser yeah. who was like really self-hating and depressed and like, yeah. and like s- sensitive. And, um, no, it's like Nietzsche too has that rep. And, uh, it- it's always these little reedy, like syphilitic, like <laughs> insane hermits who are like conceptualizing what it would be like to be the one with the whip. Uh, thinking about, thinking about the whip thinking about what it would be like to, to to give the whip and what it would be like to receive the whip like it it, it is all just this realm of fantasy um yeah and it, it is so funny that these figures get blown up into being these like ultra macho kind of things where it's like no no this is this is a way for for little sissy boys to work their shit out yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and I mean, like, I think that so much can be said. Like, I mean, Klazowski talks a lot about um, a lot of, like, the, the enjoy- enjoyment facade or, like, how it breaks down is, like, yeah. we have this, like, pleasure of comparison where yeah. it's, like, oh, that's not happening to me. So, yeah. like, I'm, I'm yeah. happier. But then, like, it's all about with the sod's work is, like, trying to bring that towards total apathy where mm. you're trying to, like, both, like, get the both become an object within the system in order yeah. for it to like basically like the 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 prosperity of vice results in apathy because if you allow yourself to do everything then eventually becomes so standard and common 100 it, it's you're, like you're removing, on a treadmill yes you're removing yeah. meaning from it that's yeah. the whole idea you have to remove meaning yeah. from what you're doing but like 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 that's within the text of yeah. the saw whereas the sod i think he was always looking <laughs> Dasad just Dasad had such a hard time with emotional connection <laughs> and it makes me so sad because what he really he couldn't for him sex was such a violent affair like he yeah. describes his own orgasms as like like a, a violent impulse where he's yeah. like flailing around he's like almost having a seizure whereas like he just wanted to have some like nice emotional connection with somebody and that's all of us and then, that's all of us it's it's the it's the pain and the insecurity of existing precariously turning into violence yeah. turning into being weaponized yeah yeah 
But in this case, it's weaponized entirely, like, consensually by, by at least himself. Yeah. My, my dream um, is to adapt yeah. Juliet. Hell like, yeah. I think that would be an Hell amazing yeah. film. Um, because I'm a little whore. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I gotta do it. Um, but I, I, now I think that we've kind of, like, I've, I've gotten clear across... Yeah how I feel about Cello as an adaptation of 120 Days of Sodom. It's complicated. The movie's excellent, but it it fails to Sod in a lot of ways, um, but then also accidentally gets them right in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, but um, the biggest criticism would be this conflation of God to power to fascism yeah. that Pasolini thinks is the way to do it. And yeah. it's like, it's a way to do it. It's the yeah. wrong way to do it. But it really no, it's kind it, of punk. I it it's it's charming how simple it is. Where it's just like I'm going to place you like subjectively inside fascism, and it's gonna suck for you in there, and you're gonna have a bad time, and then you're gonna come out the end of it going like going like wow, I just went on the fascism simulator. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It's kind of fun. But at the same time, I guess the fact that, that my takeaway from that is fun is, Means it is fucking, the exact problem. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the mm. thing is, is, I think that in a way, Solo becomes too entertaining. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Cause it is so aesthetically brilliant and all these Which things. Is, if the myth of it was true, if the legend of it was true, that it was that hard to watch, it would maybe even be better. But but it's yeah. exactly what I said. It, it's, it's not like that if you're so, If you're showing coprophilia orgies, they're, yeah. they're silly. And also, think about the idea of voyeurism within the film. Okay, like, like as the audience, you're watching these like big shots in which you can see everything yeah. on display. And then at the end, you're putting the perspective of the libertines like looking through their little glasses at the yeah. violence and the circle of blood sequence and it, it's kind of interesting because like you're putting like the most distant voyeurism space yeah. for that and in a way that's probably the purest that he gets towards this idea of apathy because yeah. by putting like the sort of <clears throat> sort of uh, a mat <clears throat> over the the screen where you actually see like the goggle like the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the goggles <laughs> it's, it's a like cartoony well it is cartoony yeah. but but in a way that that's like the closest he gets to like this like apathetic lens yeah. towards it because yeah. it's like you're now so distant from what's happening that like you don't even care by that point and you've been yeah. kind of like you've submitted to um the structure of the movie for so long that you're finally at this place of just like yeah i'm watching like some dude get his tongue cut out but i, yeah. I i'm not really emotionally affected by it yeah. and like i remember showing a clip um at fantastic fest of like the candle held up to the boy's penis and I was like expecting like, oh god, people are gonna like yeah. be like, oh slow, because yeah. like, you know, most people haven't watched Solo. Yeah. Like but it didn't even phase anybody. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, because it's like it's shot in a way that like like I show that next to a the scene of Ryan Nicholson's movie uh <laughs> um Torched where yeah. a girl gets revenge on a rapist by putting a blowtorch on his dick, yeah. and it's really fake, and people have more of a reaction to that, right? Yeah. So it's like it's like there's different ways to shoot stuff to like make it gross and disturbing and and the, the, i guess the thing that's most interesting about cello or the 120 days of sodom is the fact that it's it's not disturbing it's yeah. not a disturbing movie and and that goes back to what i said where it's kind of silly that it has this reputation for being such a disturbing movie yeah um because it's not it like I, I unless i guess you're really disturbed by people eating shit that looks like chocolate cake yeah but it's like isn't that silly isn't it silly to watch like a group of people eat a banquet of shit like it's so f 
funny. Yeah. And that was your takeaway last night when we watched it. Yeah, was that, that it, it's, it's, it's a comedy. It, is that it's like campy and that it, it's treating you like you're in on the joke and that it is, it is a horror movie in a way, but it's a horror movie of the discomfort of being let into that joke of like, you know, you're, you're not in the perspective of the victims. You're in the perspective of the perpetrators and they're increasingly inviting you more and more into their worldview, into their perspective. You're, you're, you're in that area. I think the film itself is doing more to moralize than what I'm saying necessarily. But the, um, you are kind of laughing at things and then going, oh God, should I have laughed at that? Was it's, kind of my, I, and it's the way I because I don't really it. have that guilt associated with it. Cause like, you know, the captors are associated with everything. <laughs> it's all the Catholicism. Yeah. Um, but like, it, it's fascinating to me because like you look at the, the captors, like these libertines are like telling jokes yeah. and like do it like, like, like actual, like here's yeah. a joke with the punchline. Like they just do it as an aside yeah. every once in a while and stuff like that. And, like, I think what's fascinating about that is you're right in that you're not supposed to look at the victims as anything other than objects. And I, I guess in that sense, it is, like, the bluntest fucking fascism metaphor yeah. ever. Yeah, Where it's like, well, I'd rather be on these guys' side. Like, they're telling jokes about, like... My favorite gag in the movie is the like, hold your mouth like this yeah. and then say, I can't eat rice like this. Then eat shit. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Um... It's like, it, it's really funny because like, Cello is such a good movie because it is formally so perfect. Yeah. And it's like, you kind of watch and you're like, I can't believe Pasolini was able to make this adaptation yeah. in the first place. Like, it's like, it's kind of like insane that it exists. Well, and there's the urban myth that he died uh, in relation to the film. Oh, somehow, he absolutely right? did. Yeah. He absolutely did. I mean, like, like either he was killed by a, a young prostitute who yeah. ran over this car or... Um, you can go with like killed by the mafia, yeah. killed by uh, someone who was extorting him for like a yeah. lost print of the movie. Like, it, there, there's so many like like it's an unsolved mystery, yeah. the legend of Pasolini's yeah. death. But like, regardless of whether you want to tie it to the movie, I think it does like it, it's it's kind of silly too. If he yeah. died for this movie, yeah. it's like I don't know. It just feels ridiculous because yeah. it's like I, I agree with Barth's. It's like it's it's kind of an irredeemable little movie and yeah. like it's interesting on this level to which like all of the ways in which it fails are profoundly interesting yeah. and that's what makes it like a great piece of cinema because like to me great cinema is stuff that isn't perfect it's like stuff that strives to hit some like yeah. incredibly impossible like goal and then like you know shoot for the moon you'll fall among the stars yeah. you know like that's the type of cinema yeah. i love and um Salo is 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 a remarkable piece of yeah. cinema and um I think that if you want to get into any more comparisons between our two works I think now would be the time to do it. Yeah, um the one aspect that I did want to bring up is the scatology of both is um and the way that that relates to the analysis of fascism in the sense of that all stems back in the in the in the sort of armchair psychoanalytic framework as you know obsession with cleanliness and purity becoming repressed explosive id becoming the obsession with uh with with filth with them creating this world of filth with um 
them banning religion on the grounds, even as, you know, one of them is a priest, and I'm sure these are all church-going men in the rest of their, uh, in the rest of their pursuits, um, them sort of well, establishing this space of, of, of absolute filth when it is exactly on the principles of purity that they are enacting violence. Well, and that, that's why life. I talk about like the humiliation kink with yeah. Assad, because like so much of like what he writes about is like, like, you know, um, like fatness and um, yeah. ugliness and grotesquery where it's like, he's, he's like the, the greatest thing to do to rebel against like nature yeah. um, is, is to embrace disgust and yeah. to direct, embrace filth. Yeah. And that, that, you know, like he had like, you know, like the sod presumably was a coprophile. He had a uh, great anal fixation and these things. I mean, we can get all Freudian with this shit, but like <laughs> it, it, it really does speak. I think in, in the film too, what's interesting is you're embracing filth. Yeah. But what's so weird about it is it's at this very fine banquet. All yes. this shit is in like yeah. a beautiful platter yeah. and everyone's eating it with like cutlery and all yeah. like it's like the only point it gets to where it's like like filth kind of in like an actually like gross yeah. way is at the end but during the circle of blood sequence in yeah. the movie where uh the girls are just in the tub of shit and yeah. mud yeah. and it's like like that to me is like more about the disgust and and and, and it is fascinating but it is someone who's policed themselves so deeply around filth's idea of filth yeah it's still placed within this hierarchical structure yeah um of the overlap whereas in in tell me i'm worthless you know the 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 sort of transcendence of the house being so much caked in blood and shit and cum is sort of it, it's sort of this revelation it's what's behind the curtain with the fascists in both stories is you were promised security you were promised you know good faith religious values and you 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 pull it back and it's just and they are the most obsessed with the bleakest shit yeah um it's or too, not with the bleakest shit with the it, with the grossest shit it, it is they're too obsessed. bad because like i think that there it is really upsetting the way in which cello ties libertinism with fascism because yeah. like i i think that there is something so exciting about like <laughs> the celebration of filth yeah. i'm all about the celebration of filth. Yeah. that's like most of my whole deal no right? absolutely it's but, it's the it's the it's yeah, the forward so I, facing yeah. view so i hate the, the i hate the conflation of it with like these fascist hmm. tendencies yeah, to it's be the, honest it's the policing of filth it's the actual inaction of fascism that's the problem if yeah. they could embrace their filth well, and then and this kind of wraps around to, to our lost episode from yeah. last week yeah. like like this idea of the conflation of of transgressive transgressing and uh, fascism yeah where, like we've hit this point where you can't really have one without the other and it's like depressing that it becomes like a neo-reactionary model and um like 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 transgressive art mm -hmm. and like I, i'm really happy because i think that um the two works we talk about today are kind of the remedy to that like as blunt as the metaphors can be yeah um it is a way of saying hey how can we like pull transgression back and use it as a tool that if we are now associating transgression with like neo-fascist tendencies then how can we then weaponize it in a way or an explorer we're using an exploratory way to say why are these things tied together and how can we propose like a new framework at which to explore them so Aoife 
I think that these are both two beautiful fucking works that are worthy Absolutely. of so much further exploration. And talking about the sort of um, mission statement of our podcast, um, I'm really excited to have shared them with you. Yeah. And I'm happy that something like Solo that scared you so much and then became <laughs> this like object of like fear associated in like not having your clout established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really happy that you've now got those bona fides yeah. and that you found out that the movie's actually like a brilliant fucking film that's yeah. worthy of discovery. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and oddly goofy and yeah, just beautiful. Um, uh, I wanted to read one other section from Tell Me I'm Worthless. To, to, to close to, us out? To close us out. Beautiful. I, this is the opener of part two, um, and I just thought it was really beautiful. And again, in, in, in the spirit of this shit is, uh, has been carrying me through a hard time in my life, and this, this section just really spoke to me. So from Tell Me I'm Worthless by Alison Rumford, Before the house was built, it existed. Ground that they grew it on was all wrong. Far beneath the earth, corpses had slay, which were older than God, and so when they raised the house, it was already there in a way, fully formed, ready, ravenous. No live organism can continue to exist compassionately under conditions of absolute fascism. Even the birds in Italy under Mussolini were observed to take part in rallies and violence. Albion, not compassionate, not sane, stood ringed by a tangled forest, holding inside, however messily, its overpowering ideology. It had stood so for a hundred years, and would only stand for one more before it entered the long process of becoming something else, at the end of which, it was hoped, it would seem all the world had always been that way. Within, floors crumbled, ceilings gaped open, vines choked the chimneys and windows. Thank you.